0: Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we're here tonight for another faculty meeting episode. This will be episode 161, A Game by Any Other Name. And of course, joining me as always is Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello to everyone. So, been a while since we've been on the mics. A lot going on in the world of the Academy and just in the world in general. So, we're going to take a quick moment here before we do anything else and just check in What you been up to lately, buddy?
1: Okay, so I've been doing a lot of deep thinking about my relationship (laughs) with Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Uh, That's okay, though. No, no, no. So I've been, you know, we've been playing our new streamed game. The Everwar Saga. The Everwar Saga. Guess what? I really enjoy playing Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. So um, anyway, maybe I just hate running the game. Maybe I hate the culture of it. I don't know. But just playing it's been fun. I have been – so there's that. Also, I've been traveling again, which means that I've been getting to catch up on all the shows mm-hmm. that I've been not watching. Uh, so I've been watching Stranger Things oh, season four.
0: I love season four. It's so good. So
1: so here's the thing. I've watched – this is how cra- – this is how, like, absolute bonkers my wife is, okay? Because, like, so, like it's just nuts. Okay, listen to this. So I watched the first three seasons with her. Mm-hmm. It's fine all right she likes the show a lot like but she is such a she cannot stand like a lot of violence mm-hmm. like just she just can't she's not something she really it just makes her queasy and all this kind of stuff so anyway so we started watching stranger things season four and those first few episodes oh, yeah. and she was like okay you know what, this was good and everything for three seasons, but I'm just done with it. Tapped out. I was like, how can you, like, this is the end. You're just done with it? And she's like, yeah, I don't need that. So I was just thinking about, like, what kind of person can follow a like some form of media for years and then just, like, whole cloth, just be like, okay, I'm good. Like, I don't, I'm just done. Like, I'm just like, what is going on? I mean, that's happened to me when
0: the quality of the program changed. But, yeah, I mean, if I'm still enjoying it because I think I think season one of Stranger things is almost perfect. It's just such a good version of what it's trying to be. I think season two was a big step down. they They got too much into their own success. They tried to do the spinoff. they introduced characters no one cared about. but it wrapped up pretty satisfyingly. Season three was back to form, really, really enjoyed it. And I thought season four was even better. I really like season four as well. Yeah, so I don't
1: know if, anyway, is it so that's what i've been up to yeah i just
0: uh, we had not got a chance to talk for a while i wanted no. to check in with you um yeah my name is michael you can find me at the rpg academy on twitter that's all my good stuff our email is the rpg academy at gmail.com tom where's your twitter where can people get a hold of you
1: at bezcar tom that's mandalorian metal tom excellent
0: uh, so, patrons of the week, or new patrons this week, we don't have any. We've been holding steady at where we were. We haven't dropped any in a while, which is good, uh, but we still love to see some more people join in. Uh, if you're one of the people listening and you've not joined, please consider. We do try to make it worth it as best we can. And it's really three bucks a month. Hopefully, you wouldn't even really miss that. But if not, I completely understand. We never want anyone to donate if it is going to cause them any financial hardship. But if you got the extra cash to spare, it would be cool. Our patron of the week, is Targris. Targus has been around forever. One of our very first patrons. He's very active in our Discord. One of my favorite people, another Michael. And um, he has cute rats. That's mostly what I know about it. He's also a big fan of 13th Age. And he comes to a Catacomb almost every year. I think he has come every year uh, that we've had it. And he's coming this year. So that's exciting.
1: We, we talk about 13th Age in this episode. So Or we will. So
0: that's fortuitous fortuitous, serendipitous. Even. So before we get into the show proper, we'll, we always like to take a moment to say while we're here, the goal of these faculty meetings is that in the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, we hope that somewhere in there, there's something, some nugget of wisdom that you dear listener can take and apply at your tables to make your games more fun for you and your friends. But we of course understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter which game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use or misuse. As long as you and everyone at your table is having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, we're going to jump into some RPG news, and I think we're going to start with the new D&D trailer.
1: Yes. Okay. Actually, yes. D&D trailer. It dropped at Mm Comic-Con. Okay. And anyway, I just wanted to see what you're th- what you were thinking because obviously, when this first got announced, I personally had so many hot takes. But that was near my that was like I was saying, like I was saying, I'm kind of I'm I'm feeling good about D and D right now. So that was in a low part in my life toward for D and D. Um, I'll probably be back down there next year, so Mm -hmm. uh, when the movie's coming out, which will be really good. You know, I'm really looking forward to being really salty and snarky about it. But right now, I'm feeling pretty good about it. So, but Michael, what were your thoughts on the trailer?
0: I really enjoyed it. Okay, Uh, I've I've tried to have like no expectations around it. I've watched all of the original D and D movies. Uh, We have. Shows based on them, if you go back and listen, we we used to do a thing called um, movie review or I think actually show and tell originally was something we did. I don't know. But we did like movie reviews and like I think even we did like a commentary for one of them. So even though they're terrible, they're kind of fun to watch at times. But this looks like a genuinely fun movie. I think the original Guardians of the Galaxy movie is like the perfect template for what this type of movie should be. You have really good actors And it's a comedy. Like, it's going to have heart, I hope. It's going to have action, I hope. It's going to have drama, I hope. But it needs to be a comedy. Because if it's funny unintentionally, you lose everybody. But if it's only partly funny on purpose, people are more likely to stick with you. And I think that trailer looked funny to me. I think it's going to be a good time. I can't wait to get to it. And then, as kind of roll into some other things... I'm now playing D&D with my childhood friends, Brendan, Bill and Joe. We had our second session, even though Bill had to miss it. Long story short, won't cover it here, but they are super excited about that. Like they've been sharing. We have a group text. They've been sharing uh, the trailer memes about it. They're ready to go right now. They want to make a big family outing where we all go together and bring our kids. So like the fact that they are super into it elevates it in my mind anyways.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because I watched the trailer and what I was really worried about with this when this movie was going to be announced was like, okay, Dungeons and Dragons. What makes Dungeons and Dragons so like definitive? Like you can define it, and you see, it and you're like, oh, okay, that's Dungeons and Dragons. And I was thinking about it. It's it's very meta. Like you're playing a game with your friends. So I was like, well, okay, they're making a movie about the actual fiction. Yep it's going to feel very generic fantasy. I mean I look, I tried reading D&D books and there was a period where like you know like 11 and 12 year old Tom which look I'm not knocking the books. If you like the R.A. Salvatore books that's awesome. All right. They 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 but to me they were very samey and very generic fantasy, you know. It was lots of tropes and stuff and I was like okay, well this is it's just going to be very tropey kind of movie and I don't think it's going to be very self-aware and they're going to try to make it very you know I I don't know so but then I watched this and I was like okay I see where they're going with this it was giving me strong like Marvel movie vibes Mm. where it's just kind of which it we kind of everybody kind of says like oh marvel movies why are they always so f- they always do too many jokes kind of thing that's what well, that's what dc fans say Are they always like oh, there's too many jokes it's not it's not like the comics and in all fairness most of the comic books aren't that jokey but honestly dungeons and dragons is kind of goofy yeah right? it is it just is there's like maybe the books are not goofy, but the original D and D is not the books. The original D and D is adaptions of the games that we were playing. So it's, it's gonna be, we do stupid stuff at the table. And that's when I play D and D, I'm usually doing silly stuff. Mm. You know, the kind of thing that we always joke about in the games that we play. We never do this, but we always joke about how that we're gonna, who knows that the, the session when Goblin, the, the Glo- Goblin, named mcnugget is going to show up it's that kind that kind of stuff and so watching this i was like okay i think the people making this movie understand what they need to do like there's this whole meta thing where i'm like okay i hope stuff happens in the games that we can relate to as players and dungeon masters like oh yeah this definitely happens Mm -hmm. like that there's that scene where they're all sitting around a barrel and they're like Talking about their plan, then they're like, "Okay, now we need a different plan." And it's like, oh, "Okay, this is that moment where we spend an hour and they can't come up with anything." So I just have to throw something at them.
0: So I think it's gonna be cool. And this isn't to say for anyone listening that you can't have a truly straight, above board, dramatic game in D anD. d It can do that, but in my experience, they tend to lean into the silly, and for me, that's what I mostly enjoy. I do love having certain sessions or certain moments that are dramatic. And I think sometimes that's why they're so impactful because you're playing a silly game. And then when you have a truly, you know, poignant moment, it can hit you harder because it's almost unexpected or it's, you know, it's, it's unique sometimes. But I think this trailer nails what I wanted it to feel like. And then also it's the, I'm pretty sure the writer and director team are the same people who did the Game Night movie that came out in 2018 with um, Jason... Bateman. Bateman and um, What's-Her-Face, uh, Rachel McAdams. That movie's hilarious, and it's clearly made by people who, again, get games. So I think they're in really good hands. I think I think we're in for a really good time. Okay. Should be good. Hope I want to go see it. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. Some quick news about Action 12 Cinema. Um, again, according to the last I heard from Tracy, I should get the layout – version by the end of this month, which is quickly approaching, so I'm very excited about that. I had a chance to run a session for JackerCon, which is from the Happy Jacks podcast. It's a virtual online-only convention. only ran it for two people, but it was a fun game, and I didn't know until the end that one of the people playing the game is actually associated with Happy Jacks. I I don't listen to them, so I don't know any of their personalities, and they really liked the game, and now they want to feature it on... Happy Jacks has like a one-shot sort of you know, a side channel they do, like actual plays, kind of like we do with trials and field trips and stuff. So I don't know if they're going to run it, because, again, it's a GM list, but if they're going to facilitate or me, we've talked back and forth. We're open to either one, but there's a really good chance that it's going to get featured on their channel, and, you know, they're much larger than we are. So that's awesome, right? That is pretty cool. So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of neat to
1: see that. I feel like people are starting to play it. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to feel a little bit more real now. <laughs> I like, know. People kind of like people are kind of people are kind of like uh, people who aren't in our like immediate circles are like, oh, this is kind of cool.
0: And, and that's the thing. I keep waiting for someone to say this isn't a game, and until that happens, I'm going to keep yeah. moving forward as if it is one. Um, and then okay. a catacon that's probably the biggest thing right now. Well, actually, the biggest thing for me is Gen Con because that's next week. But a catacon Kickstarter, we moved it up a week. It's not far away. It's like, I think, less than two weeks or maybe. Yeah, because it'd be two weeks from yesterday is when the Kickstarters is going to go live. August 9th, it's... A big thing. August 9th. August 9th is when the Kickstarter. For whatever
1: reason that I was not thinking that it was that soon. Well,
0: it was the 16th. That's what it was for months and months and months. We moved it up a week because there's another convention, Ice and Dice, and they need a Kickstarter for their event. So we're trying to like get out of each other's way. So I moved mine up a week. They moved theirs back a week. I think we still have like four days that we're going to overlap but we're not basically fighting for the same money because they're in Cincinnati. We're in Dayton type of a thing. So we're trying our best to play nice with each other. Uh, so we moved it up a week The you know, you can go follow the Kickstarter and get the notification when it goes live. If you're part of our newsletter who signed up last year, we'll, we'll blast that out. Our goal this year is, is higher than it has ever been. It's $9,000, but that is less than what we've gotten two years so it's not as high as we've gotten, but it's higher than we've ever set the goal before. And again, I, t- I try to be open about this stuff. Yeah. We lost money last year because we didn't have nearly as many people show up as we had hoped. And um, so I'm trying to hedge my bets a little bit that if we also have another poor year this year, I won't be twice in the hole. So some of that money is to pay back money I've already paid for for last year. I think it's doable. If, it, if I didn't, I wouldn't set the goal there. But as you know, Tom, I get extremely nervous and anxious and the entire time the Kickstarter is running, I will be on discord going, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So help me out folks. If you're going to pledge and support, do it right away. Again, the way Kickstarter works, they do not take money from you until the very end of the campaign. And only if we, if we hit our goal. So if you're thinking like, Hey, you know, as soon as I get paid, I'll throw some money at you. Super appreciate that. But you don't have to wait for payday because they're not going to take the money until the end. Just make sure you, keep up with it so that you don't get screwed if it, you know, hits when you didn't have money, but you can go ahead and pledge just make sure the money's there when it ends which I believe is September 7th, I think it's a it's that Wednesday, it's like a detention night, we're going to do the live countdown as we usually do. So it's basically like, it's either 28 or 31 days somewhere, it's right around 30 days. Anyways, moving on, excited
1: Okay. So all right, so other bits of news. Uh Gen Con. Speaking of conventions, that is next week. Next I I do not go to Gen Con. This is nothing to do with me, you know, being worried about COVID or anything like that. This is just me having no desire to go to Gen Con. It's okay that you're wrong
0: about that. It's amazing.
1: I'm sure one day I will want to go. I just I just don't, you know, so and I know it's gonna be awesome just not my cup of tea but i know it's your cup of tea michael absolutely so i will be tweeting
0: can, all about it i'll be facebooking it'll be in the discords it's going to be everywhere i am so excited to get back to it so
1: i guess what i wanted to ask you then is first question what are you most excited for at gen con
0: so my goal every time i go into gen con is to play games i've never played before like as much as i love D. I almost never play that at cons unless uh, there's just, like, no other option. Or I get a chance to play with several of my own friends, like we get to somebody run for us. So I have a couple games this year I've never played before or have not played in a while. And so I'm really excited about getting uh, to do that. Usually at the end of Gen Con, when I do, like, what did I love most, it's almost always the things that I ran. And I am running Mm. my Scooby-Doo Dread, which, again, I had one time it went a little sideways on me. But other than that, it's always been a highlight of the con for me. I'm running my uh, introduction to DMing panel. Unfortunately, both of my regular co-hosts are not available. So, and I've, I've asked other people, it's just not worked out. So I'm going to be doing it solo, but probably one of the most, you know, heartfelt, heart swelling moments of my entire gaming life was I think two or three years ago, I did that panel. And then a couple of days later, I think, or maybe it's the same day, but it was later after the panel in the dealer hall, someone just came up to me and said, hey, I went to your panel, and it's encouraged me to start running games for my kid. Like, because of your panel, I now feel like I can do this, and I'm going to run games for my kid, so thank you. And I just about started bawling. Like, that was just the most amazing thing. So if I can get anywhere near that this time, that'll be the highlight. The
1: How many people do you have signed up for
0: that? So, um. Usually I do between 100 and 150, depending on the room. This year there's 150 max. I think right now there's um, 50, 60 people signed up. So it's about half full. That's a
1: lot of people yeah. that you can tell about a catacomb. Yes,
0: yes it is. I, now here's the thing. Again, this is the Michael method. I yep. ordered uh, business cards that are dual-sided. One side's about the podcast. One side's about a catacon. I don't know if they'll be here in time.
1: Nice. Because I waited too classic. late to order. Okay, classic. Okay, so that then my next question is I know a lot of people go to Gen Con to buy stuff. Is there something that you plan on buying or are most excited to buy? I
0: don't have anything on my radar, uh, radar other than there are there's a new Marvel legendary set that just came out, which is the Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's the movie version, so it's just like stills from the movie rather than artwork. And then they're supposed to come out with a Marvel phase 10 something or another. And it's basically like all the movies till now. I don't know if it's going to be out at Gen Con or not, but if it is, I will buy it. So those are the one thing I would definitely will buy is that guardians of the galaxy set. And if the other one is out, i probably will buy that. I do always end up buying a few things. I, hit, I obviously hit the dealer hall, but there's nothing that like I'm going to buy, like I'm going there to buy specifically other than maybe, and even that, If I don't find it, I'm not going to be too upset. I'll just get it, you know, later. Okay, pro
1: tip. Okay, this is just because I talked to a lot of the people who are involved with Free League Mm -hmm. in the U.S., Mm -hmm. and the last year, Free League did ridiculous discounts at Origins because Origins took place after Gen Con. So basically, Mm -hmm. they took all their Gen Con stock, they moved to Origins, and I had a buddy at Origins, and he got, we're talking like, Alien dice for a dollar. Like a whole set. That's like a twenty dollar set of dice. The alien book. So he's talking tons of stuff. So definitely the free I know the free league people will be having like name your own price stuff mm. on Sundays. Right. So.
0: so I will definitely check that out then.
1: Yes. Okay. Um other bits of last bit of news that I wanted to talk about. Okay, because this is and this is, like, fresh news. Re- As brand rec- new, hot co- off the As presses. of recording this, because I've been following this, and everybody knows, so I haven't been really down on D&D lately, but I've been super, you know, laying it thick on Kickstarter. Okay, and anybody who's loosely associated with the company. And so, Steve Jackson Games, all right, folks, you know, one of their, their CEO got put on the, uh, what was it, like community council board? Yeah. Ad- advisory council a- or something. Advisory board. Basically a board that was put together to say, hey, how can we be more thoughtful to the people who want to put products on our website? And that led Steve Jackson to getting a "Projects We Love stamp on their Pathfinder Revolution game less than an hour after it drops. So... You know, like everybody's like, okay, that's a little sketchy. All right, this is a reprint of a Pathfinder game. Anyway, their goal was $50,000. And, you know, people are like, well, we shouldn't make fun of people's failures. Look, I'm not making fun of their failures. I'm just pointing out the fact that they were not able to, they wound up canceling the project today with 35000 So I think this is interesting because I think it shows a few things. One thing it shows is that I don't think the project we love badge is as important as it used to be. And I don't think being an established company on Kickstarter, just putting out whatever you want is the key to success anymore. Because Steve Jackson, you think Steve Jackson games putting out Pathfinder board game, like that's like, you got the built in Steve Jackson games. You got the built in Pathfinder people like that should be instant success, but it's not. So, I think this is showing people are being more picky about Kickstarters.
0: There's just more competition now, too. There's multiple other sites out there, and you don't have 100% of the crowdfunding audience anymore. There's people on BackerCat, there's people on GameFound, there's people on Game on Tabletop, there's people on Indiegogo, there's people on Itch. So, I think it's you're going to be a little bit more discerning, which is bad for me because I'm about to put a game on there probably, and uh, I might be I, you know more cautious.
1: Yeah, I, I just think it's, I don't know, I think it's just, uh, it's just interesting seeing that, that even the big guys don't always yeah. get a home run. So. Well,
0: I'll throw this out. Just, I touched on it briefly before we started recording. I also covered it on our latest TTRPG crowdfunding review show. Um, there was a Kickstarter that I was looking at. It was going to be one of my picks for our last show. And the night before we recorded, I looked at it. It was around $40,000. Their goal was $50,000. They still had like two weeks left. So it looked like, you know, pretty much going to get there. That morning, before we recorded, I went to update my numbers, and the project was canceled. I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. Uh, the, the people behind it, there were three different in- industry professionals. I don't remember their names, but they had credentials from games like Fantasy Flight and uh, Z-Man games, I believe. So these were people who were in the industry for a while. They formed their own company, and they put out an update that just basically said, we tried to game the system, and we failed. We actually need a lot more than $50,000. Our goal was to, we set that goal thinking we would get well past that. And then once we did, we would start going up in the algorithm that Kickstarter uses because it overfunded and blah, blah, blah. But if we actually just fund, which they were on pace to kind of just fund they would go bankrupt and/or not be able to put out the game because that's not what they actually needed. So they apologized to everyone. So we're going to reevaluate. We'll probably come back at another time, but we cannot afford to put this game out if we just fund fifty thousand, and that's what we're on pace to do. And the thing is, everyone does that. Like I, I, I knew I look at Kickstarters enough because of that show to know that that is a strategy people employ. They set their goal about half of what they need, hoping that they will fund quickly. They'll get pushed up into the algorithm. They'll get that, you know, Kickstarter project that we love, Stamp, that we talked about before, and then they would way overfund. But that doesn't always happen. It happens a lot because people do that a lot, but it doesn't always work. And I actually think it's a good thing that these three guys were industry professionals and could see what was happening and bit the bullet to cancel. Yeah. Because if it was someone's first project and they're like, well, what do we do? And they're very well probably would have failed bankrupt to themselves and never put the game out. So I give them kudos for recognizing what was happening, addressing it honestly. But it's just one of those things you have to pay. If you pay enough attention to Kickstarter, you see it happen all the time. But here's when it doesn't work. This is what it looks like.
1: Yeah, it just, yeah, that's just kind of shows. And people pointed this out with the Free League stuff. Free League always sets their Kickstarter like funding goals super low, like $10,000, and they wound up making like $2 million. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, the low numbers are a, definitely a marketing tool. Yep. So just watch that. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting. Wanted to point that out. All right.
0: So um, my goal is to get this out before Gen Con. So if anyone else is, if you're listening, if you're going to Gen Con, try to, you know, connect. I would love uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to do every year is just play games in the lobby with the people that I go with. So not everyone's going this year. There are some COVID concerns within, in, within the academy. I completely understand, obviously, no pressure ever to anyone to go and put themselves in danger. Uh, but we're going to still hook up in the lobby and play games at our hotel because that's one of my favorite things to do. Um, and I would love for other people to join us if you can. All right, with that out of the way, though, we're going to jump into the show proper. Finally, we're only half an hour into this thing. And this is part of our continuing ongoing saga where where, uh, Tom is going back and listening to our original shows and mining them for, you know, lessons learned or opinions that we can talk about maybe has changed. And so today we're looking back at Dungeon Talk 24, which was called Fate for the Win, and this is where we started talking about our experiences with fate. And then I think we started talking about maybe moving on to a different game. So I'll let you take it over here, Tom. What do you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. So this was a, this was a, you all have, what you all did was you play, you built 13th age characters, you built fate characters, and you just finished a D&D next campaign. And you decide, let's just do a combat with fake characters and 13th age characters to see how we enjoy it. All right. Which, you know, combat is only one aspect of RPGs. And I think you all realize this when you're right. doing this,
0: but it's the easiest way to in- engage with the rules.
1: Exactly. It's very simple to engage with the rules there, especially for combat heavy games. Like thir- I just I don't know. I've never played 13th age, but that we'll get into that. But, um, So one of the things that gets brought – I don't want to talk about the specifics of this particular – what you all talked about and what you liked or didn't like about the rules. But one interesting thing that you all kept on coming back to was the whole idea Evan thought that 13th age was just D&D with bigger numbers. And you – your argument was, well, okay, that kind of makes sense that I guess I guess you have – Monsters have more hit points, and you're doing more damage, or something like that. I don't know, but your response was okay. That's not thirteenth age; they're better for it. The the icons and these these different things, and fate is great for you know the approaches and the your aspects and all these other cool things. So uh, you all agreed that fate was way different Mm. than D and D. All right, that was yeah, and that was that was not a argument at all. But this whole idea that 13th Age was too close to D&D for to warrant a switch to another game. So
0: before I, but I really I want to just ask you real quick, do you think that's true, Michael? I don't think it's true, but I can see how a lot of people would think that it is because basically 13th Age is a version of D&D. Like it is so close to D&D that it's almost like how do they get away with that? But I think the some of the things that they added are truly unique, and they're great additions, but there's absolutely nothing stopping you from taking those things and putting them into D&D. The one unique thing is an amazing rule thing. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but whenever you create a 13th age character with your DM's approval, you get to say that there's one thing about my character that is completely unique, and whatever you say, as long as the DM approves, becomes the truth in the world. And sometimes they can be very simple things like I have a beautiful voice that you know everyone loves to listen to me. Okay, you that is one that thing about your character they are they have a beautiful voice. Or you could say I think one of the examples is in the book that I'm the only halfling dragon writer in the world. Okay, if if the DM says fine with that, you are now the only dragon halfling dragon rider in the world and what does that mean? What does that say about our world? Why are you the only one? Are you the only one left? Are you the only one never tried? Is there something about halflings that they don't normally do that? And it's a way for the players to have like you know narrative control and set something about the world and it also fits a very movie like version of the world where usually the heroes in movies there is something about them that sets them apart that makes them different and heroic and that's just baked into the system. It's absolutely one of the best parts of the game. But there's nothing stopping you from playing D&D and doing that. The other big thing is icons, which is these powerful NPCs in the world. And every character starts with some sort of connection to more one or more of them. And it can be a positive connection, a negative, or a conflicted. These are just factions. They're just factions by another name. So if you play a game that has factions in them, you're doing that. They codify it with some D. De- die rolls but there's nothing to say you couldn't do that too and then the last big thing is the escalation die which is just a way to speed up combat and make things a little bit more exciting the longer it goes on which is usually the opposite in D. usually when combat drags on it gets boring but there's nothing stopping you from doing something in D similar to that so i can totally get where evan's coming from but I also really love 13th Age. I've said it multiple times. If it wasn't for the D&D Next playtest starting right when we were getting going with the podcast and, and our desire to make that part of our content, I think 13th Age would be the game I'm playing today rather than 5th edition. So Evan said, he, he, he said, well, why
1: don't we just take the icons and the, what was the other thing? Escalation uh, and one unique that, thing. Yeah, the one unique thing. Why don't we take the icons and the one unique thing? Just add those to D&D.
0: He's absolutely right.
1: So, but, so this kind of, this whole idea of, like, this sounds maybe like a really, like, very philosophical question. Mm -hmm. So, why play another game? So, let's say you have a good game that you like. What, Michael, what makes a game like, unique enough or, like, enticing enough for you to say, I don't want to play what I'm currently playing. I want to play this other thing.
0: So for me, there's, I think three, and I'm just making this up as I go. So I might change my mind tomorrow, but, but you know, the five minutes before we started recording, I knew this was coming. I've been thinking about it. And in my head, there's three things that are going to cause me to explore a new game. First is the setting. There's something about the world that that game is set in that I think would be fun to explore. You know, again Eberron's my favorite setting for D&D, so an Eberron game, going to want to explore it, but maybe it's it's completely different, maybe it's a superhero genre, maybe it's a dark noir type of story I like those, maybe it's a mystery type game, but there's something about the setting that I think is interesting enough that I want to play that game just to experience that setting. Secondly is it provides an experience that I don't get readily from other games. And these are more of your niche games, like Action 12 Cinema. It gives me the experience of playing an action movie. That's what it does, so that's what it does well. Other games, like Forged in the Dark, give you um, sort of like a mystery or a heist sort of feel. Leverage gives you, um, you know, you're playing like a criminal in an, an organization type of feel. Buffy the Vampire Slayer gives you a chance to play in the Buffy universe. But there's something about that game that gives you a unique flavor there's that one game that's like you're two people in a space station and you're slowly running out of air and at the end of the game you're dead and how do you experience like that is an experience i'm not going to get from a different game because that's what that game is built to do and then third there's some sort of mechanical interaction that is just fun so like fate or phage fantasy age sorry the stunt die mechanic that's just fun. I really think that's a cool thing. I don't know that I want to play a campaign of it, but I do enjoy it in limited sessions. And again, my apologies for bringing up the name, but Satanic Panic, the game that Jim McClure was working on, <laughs> uh, I got to play test that. It has a really fun mechanic where if you have if you roll too high, you have collateral damage. So like if your target number is a fifteen and you roll an eighteen, that's bad because it means you overdid what you were supposed to do. You're more likely to be noticed by the plebes in the world, and you're trying to be this clandestine organization. That was a really fun mechanic. There's also a mechanic with the big D20 in the middle, and I don't even remember what it does, but I remember it was a really cool thing that we literally had a giant D20 in the middle of the table, and every now and then we would roll that, and if we rolled a 20 on that, really bad stuff happened. So that was a fun mechanic that I enjoyed interacting with in the world. So, you know, again, five minutes pre-thought That's what I've come up with why I would want to try a new game. Yeah,
1: I think I... So I agree with that. So for me, the big things for me are it's got to be a unique setting or story, all right? And then also, there's got to be some mechanical aspect of the game that I feel like... I want the mechanics to be married really closely to the setting. I want them to the mechanics to do something in almost like a meta way for me. So, uh I think about And also, I want to be very clear. I'm talking about when I talk about jumping from D&D to another game or Pathfinder to another game or Star Wars to another game. What I'm thinking is like this is a game that you're going to do a campaign of. I play a lot of little tiny indie games that I know I will never They're not meant to be do these long campaigns. But when I think about some longer term stuff, what I'm looking for is a really cool setting. So I think I'm not going to play any high fantasy game other than DD. Just because I'm like, well, I already get that with d I just, I'm just not. And all of the other high fantasy games just kind of feel D&D. You know, like, I don't know. Look, I don't, I've never played 13th Age or Fantasy Age. I just, to me, I'm just, I don't have a... But let's say Forbidden Lands, it's a low magic fantasy, you know, or Trillium, you know, or one of these, I'm like, okay, I can get behind, this looks cool. Or, you know, if it's a noir game, or if it's a high fantasy game, like, you know, I don't know if you would call Lord of the Rings high fantasy, but that's why I want to do a one ring game, because I'm like, oh, this is a really cool IP that I really enjoy. So that's the setting thing that's going to make me Jump to it, and it may be you know what? Uh, uh, Lord of the Rings that one ring. Oh, that's D. That's D twelve. No, that that doesn't use D twenties. Does not.
0: No, no it, is, it uses D sixes, and then the D 12s are like the the bonus, uh, like yeah, the Sauron okay. and the Sauron. Maybe, like yeah. Maybe I just don't like D
1: twenty games. Maybe I just don't like D twenty games. Well,
0: here's the again. You know, I'm gonna jump in here. I do agree that if I'm going to play a fantasy game, I'm probably going to play D&D. Again, I really, I do like 13th age, but most people I play with know D&D better. D&D does what I need it to do. And there's always that, you know, if you're playing the game where you spend all day in the market or you're playing almost like a LARP at like a ball, there are other games that do that better. So why play D&D? Here's why. Because at some point, and it may be five sessions into the game, but at some point we're going to get into combat. And when we do... There's nothing more fun to me than rolling a D20. As much as I love D12s, again, that's why I made a whole game about it, if I'm being honest with myself, I like Fantasy Age, but it rolls 3D6. There's nothing satisfying to me about rolling 3D6 other than they've added in a stump mechanic, which I think is fun. Powered by the Apocalypse, I hate rolling 2D6. That's the worst mechanic anyone's ever come up with. It is so boring to roll 2D6. I don't care if, ooh, I got two sixes. it's a 12. That does nothing to release endorphins in my mind, Equal to rolling a D20 and getting a high number, especially getting a D20. So when it does come time to roll combat, there's nothing like rolling that D20. And I like the way d d does it. So that's why I play a lot of d d even though I enjoy games that aren't combat related. When it does come time to roll combat, that D20 just satisfies me like no other die does. I think, so I don't really... When I
1: play games, there's no game that I really play to be like, oh, I can't wait till we get to combat, Um, other than D&D. Because there's so many, like it or not, all the classes, all the upgrades and abilities, 90% of them are all about doing better Mm -hmm. in combat. They just are. So, I mean, when you're doing combat, you're interacting with the game as it was intended mechanically designed and intended so that's like i think about for uh, forbidden lands for me the, i i don't even think about f- the combat in that system because it's it's just kind of a to me that game's all about exploration and survival and resource management
0: that's it's a different style you, of you theme. don't want to get into combat in that you game don't. you want to uh, try to avoid it if all possible but when it does happen it's you know it's exciting cuz it's so deadly but that's a very different feel than a d d game.
1: Yeah. I think about the the other games that I've run campaigns of. So obviously Forbidden Lands it has the unique the, the pushing the mechanic and the survival mechanics. And then I think about uh, the only we did, Open Legend, uh, mm. which is a system agnostic game. And I like that game for similar reasons to people play Fate. It's the whole idea of like, it's a classless system where you're kind of creating your own character. And that's the whole point of the game is it's an open legend. It's you are creating this legend. And it was this it was very much a story driven game. And we did a awesome. trial of that. It, it was
0: a lot of fun.
1: Love that game. We did a whole time traveling campaign. That was the I think that may have been the first campaign Jake played with me. He played. Uh, he his character was we. Here's the characters in that game. We had he was playing Nikolai Tesla. My brother was playing Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, my buddy Troy, who's also in our stream game, was playing Tom Cruise. And Jake's wife was playing Jacqueline Kennedy. And they were all a group of time travelers. Anyway, it's a good game. Yeah. I think about the faith, the science fiction RPG. Mm-hmm that game uses cards and i was like oh this is awesome and it was and then i also think about a game like nibiru all right which is the which is a dark science fiction game that's all about exploring memories and you create your characters by remembering things so you start with almost like a blank character sheet and as you do the game and have memories you create your skills mm-hmm. so all of those are way different so for me Like, it's got to be a mechanic that is just, like, absolutely bonkers for me to just say, oh, this is cool. But all of these games, this these crazy mechanics, they just didn't feel tacked on. They felt integral to actually the story of the game. So, but generic fantasy, man, it's got to be, like... It's, it's got a, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, I guess. <laughs> if you make another Lord of the Rings game, maybe I'll Have play you it. played
0: Fantasy Age or Dragon Age? I have not. You should try it at least once because I think the stunt mechanic is a fun add-on. You roll 3d6, basically it's still so your d20, so you've got the, the bell curve, so you're more likely to hit the, the middle of the numbers. So you have way less swinginess like you do with a d20. And then anytime you get doubles on any of the three dice... One of them you have to just determine is your your stunt die. And whatever number that shows, if you got any doubles at all, then you get that many stunt points. And those stunts can be used to fuel additional, like, more damage or, like, a piercing attack, which bypasses armor. Or in, in, like, role play situations, you still get to roll that. You can do a thing, like, where you stun the crowd with your witty repartee and, like, you get a bonus to that. Or if you're exploring things you might find us a, a unique item or you get through quicker than you were expected. So every basically way you interact with the game, spells is its own thing, combat's its own thing, exploration's its own thing and role playing has its own thing, but you can get stunt points and you can spend those stunts to do certain things. And again, it's a super fun mechanic. The only issue with it similar to like the Star Wars special dice thing, sometimes you just need to ignore it. If it's not important at the time, like, I know it sucks as a player if you rolled really good and you got a lot of stunt points, but you you spend five minutes going over the menu going, mm. oh, I think I'll, um, yeah, and then it's like, this, this in this moment, it really doesn't matter, so just hurry the F up. Uh, that can slow things down, but for the most part, it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I think what may get me to play a Fantasy Age game is, like, if there is a really big, like, kickstarter or a really big game that a lot of people are really excited about i think like i just need some more i need some more energy i know we, i know you we talk i feel like we talk about it a lot or you do or we just did a sample did adventure that's yeah. coming
0: out next week people can hear it
1: yeah so it's it's like in our circles but i think that there's got to be just if somebody were to make a fantasy age use that system for like i don't know maybe like uh like a primordial kind of like post or pre-civilization caveman-esque game. Maybe I'll play that. Right. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm going to I'm
0: gonna tell you, go Google right now the Land of M, which I think is E-E-M or E-M-M, well, that combination. It's on backer kit right now. Larry brought it to the table for our last uh, crowdfunding show. I immediately went and backed it. Um, okay. our other co-host went and backed it Larry has backed it and it's basically a Forgotten Realms sort of style hex crawl but you play Muppet style characters so oh, it's like man. it's like Lord of the Rings meets Muppets meets Fantasy Age and I went and backed it at the box set level uh, so did um, Ellen so did Larry so th- when I get the game we're definitely going to pull-, pull this out hopefully there's a sample adventure included but see if that uh, scratches any itches this for you this
1: looks awesome Doesn't and it? this is just going back to like i'm like why have i not seen this and that's because it's on it's backer on backer kit. kit
0: it's doing really oh. well but it's not like that game should be everywhere and it's not, i don't think i haven't seen anything on twitter about it um so yeah but it, it was oh, an, it man. was an instant back for me
1: that's that that art is like this looks amazing it does yep sick okay well anyway, i wanted to, so that's one i want to talk about that um the other thing i wanted to talk about is uh kind of a new segment all right and we've been playing a lot of games michael between your you know you've been talking about playing a game with your old friends you've been doing a lot of sample adventures i've been doing a, i did a sample adventure and i've been playing D D now so we got a lot to talk about so but i just one of the, so I just want to, you know, give us a chance to talk about our games. So one of the things that I've been doing, so the sample adventure, I played Beam Saber. All right. I
0: a Forged in the Dark game, if anyone's not familiar.
1: I, yeah, I played Blades in the Dark one time, and it was run by somebody who was like, it was a great... They were great for one doing one shots. They didn't tell me any of the rules, really. Mm. It was just like we just played, and then when we got to surf, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I didn't feel like I had a good grasp on like what did I just do? Like mm-hmm. I had fun, but I don't understand. All right, so we got to play Beam Saber, and we got to play it with Austin Austin Ramsey ran it for us, who's the creator of Beam Saber. So he went through all of the rules, yep. and I kind I finally was like, okay. I understand what this game is doing. And I really enjoyed Beam Saber. Uh, one hand, I was playing with awesome people. Austin was a good game master and I love the idea of mechs. Mm-hmm. All right. And I feel like Austin took Forge in the Dark and made it really apply to mechs. My problem with this system was like, is it you've, you've, I don't, I don't know if it's just me. It was, I still don't feel like I understand the resolution mechanics or what I was doing. It was just so, I feel like it was
0: su- super complicated. It, I, I don't know. I'm probably not the the best person. We, we did a whole episode. Um, Nathan uh, did a whole episode where they talked about why they love forged in the dark game so much. We broke it down. Uh, we did a trial of beam saber years ago when it first came out. I think it may have been the same adventure you played. I don't remember, even though I'm editing yours. Um, but, the, that game works in almost like a weird, I, I call it almost like a staccato sort of play process where there's a lot of front loading and then you roll dice and that kind of determines sort of like the general vibe. Like, is it going well or is it going poorly? And then you're supposed to role play what that does until you get to the next moment where you roll the dice and then you roll the dice and then you kind of roll role-play the vibe of where you're going. And there's actually a real, there's a lot of action 12 cinema kind of in that. And that may have influenced yeah. it more than I realized. I was, I do things a little bit differently, but there is a vibe sort of like the dice is sort of like a vibe check, sort of a situation. Uh, but I don't know that I can explain it to you any more than that. But basically you have your approach, what you're trying to do. You have your position which is, are you in a good position or a bad position based on other factors that can influence the approach? And if you roll well, then great, you're you're role playing from a position yeah. of power and authority. And if you go roll poorly, now you're role playing from a position of uh, like inferiority, not complex, but like you're in a bad position and things can go really poorly for you. But you're supposed to role play that out, knowing ahead of time where you're at, type of a thing.
1: Yeah, I could see how that would be cool. But like trying to like, especially if you really know the system. But trying to get into it, it just didn't feel intuitive to me. And I don't know. I felt like I was like I would like uh, I would try to role play something. Then we would be like, oh no, that's not what the approach was. It was like it's very multi dimensional. Mm-hmm. And the game had fun with the game, but man, it would take a. I would play Beam Saber again. Yeah. Like, I would. I think this is
0: one of those games I almost it to, like, when I was studying martial arts. Like, you could, if you're just in it for having fun, and, and again, like, that first time you played, you don't have to worry about the rules. You can have a great time, but you don't really know what you're doing. Totally fine. If you're trying to actually know what you're doing, it's going to take a long time to get that mastery. But once you have that mastery, it can be back fun again. But there's a long period in the middle that could be discouraging.
1: Yeah, I don't know. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, you want to play Blades in the Dark? I'll probably say no. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's just that. That's uh, my thoughts. And
0: also, clocks is just skill challenges by another name. Like,
1: just, Yeah, I didn't understand clocks that's, either. That's
0: all the uh, skill talks are, or skill clo- or clocks are just skill challenges. That's all they are. And I find okay. it hilarious that people think that this is it's an innovative, essentially, hilarious. I find it humorous that people think it's All like right. an innovative thing. It's literally just skill challenges.
1: Okay. Well, anyway, that was one thing I've been doing, Michael, with gaming. What about you? You got anything new that you've been playing or any experience? So,
0: again, I'm, I'm now playing that game with my childhood friends. And we we played that first time at that cabin on that sort of guy's weekend thing we did. Um, and I know we talked about it then. I had no idea if it would continue. People seemed very excited about it, but, you know, maybe it was just a, a – a, in the moment, you know, we were reliving our childhood. We were at a cabin. There were no kids. There were no wives around. It definitely made us feel like we were 12 again, which is exactly what I want from a game like that. But Brandon and Joe especially, they definitely seem in, in on it. I know i mentioned this. Joe has a son who's nine, who's trying to get into d I D. Don't, I don't know how that happened. out. It was outside of me. But Joe has been coming to me saying, my kid really wants to play. Can you help us out? So I ran a game for him been helping him just like, you know, navigate things for his his son. Um, but we set a date to play again, and I, I'll be honest, I was waiting every day for someone to cancel or for the whole thing to fall apart. I just kept like that's what's going to happen. It's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. The morning of the game, Bill canceled. He said he was sick. Mm. Maybe he was. I don't know. But I know Bill, and I know Bill from when we were kids. <laughs> it does not surprise me at all that that's what happened, right? Okay. But, but Brandon and Joe still wanted to play, so they came over. We still played. We, okay, we just had, nice. We just said Bill's character is there, so we, we hope that he will play going forward, so he's he's there. I finished up the Dragon Spine. So this is an adventure I've ran two, maybe three dozen times. It's designed to help teach people how to play the game. It's a very simple, but it's a very fun adventure, I think. I think it's got some couple set pieces that are really cool. But there's not supposed to be a part two. Like that's the whole point. Is it ends not on a cliffhanger, but on a to be continued. And I always say, okay, so it's now up to you. If you had fun and you want to keep playing this game, you get to decide what happens next. One of you will become the the DM, and I would love to hear where you take the story. Well, I had to do that, and it's not easy. Let me be honest with you. It was kind of hard to come up with a with a part two here, but I did it, and I found a way to make it make kind of sense. Where they're they're not evil. But they're morally gray characters, so I basically inducted them into a criminal organization. But they're secretly working for this noble. So that was kind of the tie into the original Dragon Spine. There's a noble that asks you to go do something. So I've got this kind of cool, dramatic arc set up where eventually the aims of the criminal organization will not align perfectly with the noble and how do they navigate that. If they get found out that they're actually working for the noble, that could be bad. There could be blackmail against them. There might come a time where the noble's like, I need your help right now. You have to break cover. What will they do at that point? Mm, so there's, yeah. there's a lot of things that could happen. But all this is is for an excuse for them to go on one shots. Like I'm going to try each time they go, it's going to have basically unconnected. It's like, oh, well, the organization needs you to do this. It, it's the, the organization has aims, So it doesn't, you don't know why you're doing this, but you're just basically going and doing this one shot, one shot, but they're playing the bad guys. So I've been going through all these old modules. I have dozens and dozens and dozens of modules. I mean, I have a whole uh, hard drive full of like hundreds of RPGs. I've gotten over the years, PDF versions, either Kickstarters or people send them to us to review. And What I'm doing is I'm reading all these modules going, okay, the heroes are supposed to stop this bad thing from happening. But since my characters are playing the bad guys, their job is to be do the thing that the bad guys are trying to do. I'm not going to let them do anything like they're not going to be murderers or kidnappers or anything like that. But like there's one where they have to like there's like um, uh, an airship um, needs to be like sabotage. Like it's the opening voyage of this grand airship and someone's mad that it's bigger than theirs. So they want it to be sabotaged. So rather than stopping that, I'm going to tell them, okay, your job is to sabotage this airship. that sounds cool. What are you going to do? And I have no idea what they're going to do, but I'm basically using it as like plot points. But I'm going to tell you, the first thing we're going to do after this first session is I'm actually going to run the Keep on the Shadowfell adventure, which was part of the fourth edition launch. That's yes. a really cool adventure. I really like that. it. Um, I found someone who did a conversion online to 5e so all the monsters won't murder them because 4th edition monsters are tougher. Um, so that's what I'm going to be running for the next session. It'll probably take more than one because it's like, there's a role playing encounter, yeah. there's a bunch of combat, then there's a role play, then there's a second level to the dungeon. But I, I'm really looking forward to it. I even, I know, I know you're done talk. I got a giant graph paper like a, like a Easel flip chart thing you buy at uh, Office Depot. I drew all the maps, and then I cut them out so that I can lay them on a table and make a dungeon as they explore. I have not done that in so long. And I'm only doing it because it's my friends, and they want me to do that. I'm not going to do it going forward probably, but I'm having fun doing this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be good for you because... I feel like you have, you, yeah, you had, you did Shadow Spawns for a little bit. You did your Eberron game, but those are all things that are, they're campaigns and not a one shot, but they're still streamed. There's this pressure of like, Oh, we got to schedule it. This, I think anybody who does any sort of recording, whether it's streaming or actual play podcast, it is so good to just have a game that you don't need to stream you don't need a podcast you don't need to write about you can just do it if you miss a week it doesn't matter you can let it breathe like that's what i'm saying like that keep on the shadow fell or whatever it is Mm -hmm. like take your time with it use the minis like you can like you know what If you get through half of it, that's great. If you get through a quarter of it, that's fine too. So, like, you can let it breathe and just enjoy it. So,
0: I'm again, I'm almost like a 12 year old again. Like, I'm and again, there's a whole bunch of it because it's my these particular friends, but I'm also nervous because I want this to continue so badly. And I'm afraid if I have a bad session that they'll be like, oh, okay, this really wasn't that fun. Like, I need so every session has to be great. And I've yep. not had that pressure on me like that for a while because, I can, I think I can run pretty good sessions, but I also generally run for people who are more into role play. And they're not. Yeah. They're into it more for the combat. They they want to kill I and mean, They want to have fun. And they tell jokes. And they want to have an NPC that tells them something so they can tell them to go pound sand. But they're not the same audience that I normally have for games. So this is a very different experience, which is why I'm going back to pulling out the maps and minis because that helps me provide the type of game they want. If it wasn't for these three doofuses who I love, I would not be doing this, but because it's them, I am. And it means a lot to me. I mean, I truly am like just emotional, emotional, I'm so thrilled and excited. And, and, you know, we played for like two hours. We play once a month. That's that's our goal. We play once a month for four yep. to five hours. The first session was only like two hours. And I knew it would be short because, again, I was trying to wrap up that dragon spine in a way that made sense and get them to the next part. So we're only playing once a month for, you know, two to four hours. And each time I want to make sure that they leave wanting to play again. So I'll definitely keep up telling people how it goes. But I don't plan on Yeah, no, – we're not going to stream it. Yep. We're not going to record it. It's just for us. But it means a whole lot to me. And then I'll quickly throw in again. I was supposed to play Pathfinder with my kid again. He was supposed to finish his adventure. And then Val actually wasn't feeling good. Um, but we're supposed to finish that soon. And then Jacob's written a homebrew. He's written his own module. He has everything ready to go. He's dying to play. But we, I'll tell him I want to finish John's first before we move on. So I get to play games with my kids running for me. And I, again, I can't express to anyone who's not experienced this. How amazing that is. Even like the game was terrible. The first one John ran was not fun, but it was also one of the best games I ever played because (laughs) I was playing with my kid. My other kid was running for me. The wife was there, even though she wasn't into it. But still, that absolutely was a memory I will cherish forever. Yeah, I'm looking
1: forward to that. Um, I know my oldest daughter, who's seven now, will definitely be one who will run games. We've done My Little Pony, and we've done some D&D. But yeah.
0: So that'll be cool. So, so let me throw it out to the audience uh, because this isn't something we do a lot. I need ideas yeah. for this game. I need I need good examples of of like one shot, something that can be done completely that has maps that I can either print or create myself. That, you know, again, I want role play stuff, but are kind of combat focused, particularly because I don't even know. I'm actually starting to think this might be a niche that I can explore is like put stuff on DMs Guild where you're the bad guy. Like, is there a lot of like you're the bad guy modules out there? Not evil, but so. bad guys, you know, type of a thing. So I, I need more examples of that. So if you have any, please send them my way, the RPG Academy at gmail.com.
1: The other thing I want to talk about, which I I want to, I'm going to save this for a, a next episode because it's, I'm still thinking about this and I don't want to get too deep into it, but like I said, we've been doing the Ever War saga and I've been playing yeah, in the game.
0: Because I'm saying, see you're talking about how much you're loving playing 5e, but as a DM, you've been kind of like soured on it. So I do want to have yeah. that conversation when you're ready for it.
1: Yeah. The, but it's been, so it's been interesting because I'm playing with Jake, who's a great DM. It means a lot. But... I am also starting to struggle with the fact that I don't have narrative control over what's going on. So I want to dig into that next time, but like like I'm enjoying it, but I'm like, okay, but I would maybe do this a little bit differently. And so
0: I've talked about that. Like whenever I feel DM burnout, that's what I do is I try to find someone to play with. And I don't ever, I don't ever mean it negative, but usually after two or three sessions, I'm ready to play again because I start doing that. And again, it's not like saying, Oh, they're doing it wrong, but I start to think, Oh, how would I have done that? Or yeah. what you know, what twist would I put on this and I start to be like, Oh, I can't now I want to do that. So that's the way I deal with my DM burnouts I just go play, have a blast, awesome. but then I'm ready to run again. Also, I've been so I give Jake feedback. It's so
1: funny. Like it's like nobody like I feel like we always say, Oh, we should you should be give feedback for your dungeon master and stuff, but nobody ever does it. And so I'm like, okay, I'm a player. I say people should give their DMs feedback. So I'm gonna give Jake feedback. And so I was first like dude, don't it's great game and everything, but, but maybe <laughs> like and so I'm gonna so yeah, I'm gonna keep on doing that. To him, you need to write up so, like uh,
0: like a report, like a post game uh, DM oh, scorecard, and like like post it, it, it
1: somewhere or something. Yeah. Anyway, so I want to talk about what it means to give up narrative control next time. So, so anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's a that's a solid show, Michael. Yeah, I
0: think so. Uh, we did have one question that came in. Okay question but i feel like we've already gone an hour so maybe maybe we will save these for another show when we've got a little less going on that we can dedicate full time to so so larry i got your question about basically it's like what do we want to see in 5.5 or the sixth edition of D D and i think that's a fun question but i want to i really want to dig into it i don't want to feel rushed and i feel like we're already at an hour so let's call it here uh so thanks as always for for uh, doing this time. I know you put in the extra work. You listen to the old episodes. You look for things that we can talk about in this episode. So I do really appreciate you doing that. You're traveling. So again, you're making time for me when you could be, you know, in the pool or at the bar or something. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, can't wait. Catacons around the corner, man. We're going to start getting into getting to the nitty gritty. That's going to be a fun time. So where can people find you if they want to yell at you about your wrong, bad opinions?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at. Bezkar Tom. It's Mandalorian Metal Tom.
0: All right. You can find me at the RPG Academy. You can email the show at the RPG Academy at gmail.com. Please consider joining our Discord. Again, it is absolutely my favorite corner of the internet. I love talking to everybody on there about the m- movies and shows we're watching. We, we have a channel that's just for like venting your frustrations. Uh, we have a channel for food. We have a channel for four-legged families. So people post pictures of their pets. Uh, this is how we're organizing these samples adventures. It's basically an open call. Anybody who wants to jump in can, as long as you got camera and a microphone, and you're willing to play games with us. So if you want to get involved in some of our streaming, all I got to do is join the discord and get part of that. Uh, and then just lastly, a plug for the Patreon. Cause again, it's been a while since we've added anybody. It absolutely means the world to us that people support us that way. Uh, it does help us pay off the expenses that we have for the show, uh, so it would mean a lot if some, you know people would support us there. So with that we will sign off with as we always do, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy Podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or RPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook.